audio. Hi, it's Mark Houston. And Andy Young. Welcome to another edition of My First Concert, where Andy and I talk to people all throughout the music industry. We're talking to musicians and songwriters and educators and engineers. And I'm super excited for this next guest because I know next to nothing about how music producing works. Well, I'm pretty sure he'll fill you in <laughs> in really short-winded form. Now, this is a guy you have worked with. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I, I met him through Home Slice Artist Management. He was originally producing a record for Rick Todd. I don't even know how many years ago, seven years ago or something. And since then, I've worked with him on different levels on a business side uh, with other of our artists and also as a collaborator and, and producing uh, material for Judd Hoos. So Nashville producer Jay Hall, welcome to the show, man. It's good to meet you. What's up? Yo, yo, yo. How you doing, man? I'm good. Good, dude. We, I'm glad we got you in early so we can really drag this thing out. How's it going? What do you got going on today? This is the podcast. Uh, I just want to know what you had for breakfast. and um, I had a piece of peanut butter toast, <laughs> coffee. Then I hit my 5K row. Then I came down and had my, let's call it, quote unquote, recovery smoothie recovery implies that i'm like putting protein and shit in it but it's really just a bunch of healthy fruit fruit and greens well my name is mark j i'm the director of programming for the radio stations up here so it's nice to meet you what did you have for breakfast mark you know what i uh this morning i got up today and uh what did I have? Coffee, obviously. You know, your typical Midwest breakfast, anything to put on the extra weight for the cold, obviously. <laughs> it's Today is what they called a red flag day. I couldn't even let my daughter stand outside the school before she went in. I had to walk okay, her to well, the front what, door. What's the temp? 10 below. Jay, I'm, I'm, you know, Andy's told me a little bit about you here, and I'm really excited to talk to you because I do have a lot of questions. Uh, oh, I, let's do it. <laughs> I don't think I've ever got to talk with an actual Nashville music producer and... <laughs> You're going to be you're going to be bored to tears by the questions I'm probably going to throw at you. Maybe <laughs> we'll see what happens. Well, like I said, very very uh, cool that you're taking the time to do this with us. And our whole point for this podcast is uh, for you to, if if Andy explained to you, to kind of pinpoint that moment that you knew that this is going to be what I dedicate my life to. Was it a concert? Was it a song? Was it something that that hit you just the right way? And we'll get to that down the road here a little bit that'll kind of be one of the last questions we ask you to give you time to think about it for a minute um but my stupid boring first question for you jay is explain to me what a music producer is (laughs) what is it that you say you do right um okay the i describe producing music in a studio to um, I describe it to people who don't know anything about music or recording anything like that I usually start like this like do you know what a film director is and most everybody I have ever encountered says yes people seem to have some general baseline understanding of what a film director does or at least like what the role is and so I say that's what I do inside of a studio with music so I'm I'm working from, you know, inception of ideas all the way through the final finished product. Are you a, would you describe yourself, Jay, as a musician too? No, I play, I play a couple instruments, but like those days are so long behind me that I think it's, 
Um, I, I think it's maybe a little offensive to people who do play instruments for me to call myself a musician. Jay, you got some takes on some Judd Hoos records that that's you playing. So you're, you're playing some of those parts. All right, Jay, I heard, okay, I heard, I heard one of the best stories and I want, and I want you to, if you remember this, I want you to, to explain it. Uh, when you were helping Judd Hoos, uh, in the cabin do the, we were young album. If you remember that. If you can take yourself back to that moment there Andy told me there was a moment in a bathroom that <laughs> that stands out i mean i just made i just made a cinematic reference to just kind of tie in what i like what i do for a living i'll make another cinematic reference uh, i personally approach uh, producing records and helping artists and bands make their records i produce it very cinematically uh, that's how I listen to music. I think I'm not alone. I think a lot of people do that, whether you know it or not. Like when they, when you drill down deep with many people about how they feel about recording, uh, recorded music, recordings, uh, people tend to start describing things with like visual elements, photography, uh, cinematography, film, stuff like that starts to creep in. So I identified that years and years and years ago. It's totally fine if you don't think of music that way, but it, it is typical for people to visualize. It's like reading a book, like you visualize the story in your mind. So to answer the question, <laughs> I'm always trying to produce records that are captivating to the listener. It's not, it's not easy to do, and I don't know if I accomplish it, but that's the goal. I, I want a song, I want a, a recorded version of the song to start and I want the listener to feel immersed in it, just like I feel when I watch a movie. So the, I'm assuming this is the moment Andy's talking about. <laughs> uh, I, was, I was trying to build one of the songs to grow into the chorus. And I didn't want the live drum kit to start like just right away out of the gate to kind of give away. Well, I guess it was the verse. So the drums are in the very beginning. So I, like, I wanted the verse of the song to kind of come down. And it feels really organic. The lyrical content of the song is very like rooted in uh, nostalgia and nostalgia. But I was thinking, Andy, I was thinking more like outdoorsy, mm, organic, yeah. like tangible. Like the lyrics are like really like the lyrics are things that we all we either have personally experienced, like in nature, like it, like touch, feel, like you know, smell, temperature. There's just a lot of references to things that we've either experienced ourselves or or just know about. So. Those are the things like I take that kind of stuff and like melody elements and I just I just kind of go with the thing that comes into my head is like, this is what it looks like or this is what the listener should feel like and like how do we do that so I just started searching around the cabin like bang like banging on things with like the side of my fist trying to find a much smaller and more relatable kick drum sound and what i came up with was the side of a fiberglass bathtub when you say it and you think about it we've all we've we've all heard that sound of you know like the hollow fiberglass bathtub there's millions of them all over the world you know and you like you drop something in it or you do like hit it on accident or kick it and you just kind of hear that thud now it makes a lot of sense when you're like searching around a cabin banging on things eventually i'm gonna be like oh wait a minute i go in the bathroom it's like I'm like that's it. Get the, get the <laughs> microphone and record this. Well, so, you know, there's gonna be there's gonna be everybody that hears this now tonight is gonna go to their tub, <laughs> and they're gonna start yeah, with that beat. Yeah, yeah, they're gonna be banging on it. They're gonna make a record. And if they <laughs> listen to the song "We Were Young" from Judd Who's, they'll they're gonna know exactly where it is and exactly what it sounds like. <laughs> 
Where did uh, where did you where did you grow up, Jay? Uh, I grew up in Kansas City. So you come from a, a bigger city that probably had a lot of musical influence there, wasn't it? Do you feel like there was in Kansas City? Yes. In uh, by the time I left Kansas City, I mean I don't know what the population was when mm-hmm. I was a kid, but the greater metropolitan area, I'm. I think for most of my 20s, I left in my early 30s, uh, was about 2.2 million. It's a decent sized town. Sure. Um, I, like my coming of age high school years was in the 90s in the grunge era. And I didn't give a crap about grunge music. I was a punk rock, you know, skate skater kid, um, played drums in punk rock bands. I mostly cared about underground, indie rock, punk, emo, which was all like, was being defined all at the same time alternative rock was. Mm-hmm. Um so little did I know, like in my early high school days, that Kansas City already was like one of the indie rock meccas in America. By the time I was in uh, junior, senior, that was a lot more known to me. And then in, you know, late teens into my 20s, um, Kansas City was hugely influential. Our proximity to Chicago was so close that the entire Chicago music scene was, you know, it was like a sister city musically. And then Austin, Texas was also a massive indie rock town. So a lot of the, you know, small, uh, small club, independent touring rock bands, like those two cities were, or three cities, Kansas City included, it was really intertwined. So, uh, and then it just kind of grew out. Like, I mean, your guys, your guys' proximity to Lincoln and Omaha, you probably remember those days, like Lincoln and Omaha were coming along. Um, Does that make sense? Yes, Absolutely. So, so my, my musical, like my relationship with rock and roll was deeply influenced by Kansas city, but most importantly, it was deeply influenced by punk rock, like, you know, DIY everything, uh, let the artist be the artist, stay out of the way. And, um, I mean, stuff like that, that's just kind of deeply ingrained in my bones. So then how did you, uh, how did you get to Nashville? So, uh, I started, I started, my career as a recording engineer, which is where pretty much everybody should start. But I started that in my early 20s. I went to a recording trade school in Ohio. I came back to Kansas and I lived in Lawrence, Kansas, the college town where KU is. I lived there for a couple of years, started cutting my teeth in some studios there. Um, Tripped and fell over a couple more known bands in the region asking me to mix a few things they did, which was not really on my radar at the time. Um, The only thing I wanted to do was make money working in a studio. I did not have any other, I wasn't like, I'm going to be a producer or I'm going to like, I didn't have any like niching that I was steering towards other than like, I want to work with music in a music recording studio. And I want that to pay my bills. That was, that was all I cared about. So I assumed that my entire career was going to be just, you know, sitting in the chair at a, at a console in a studio, just pushing record, turning the knobs and while the band was there. Mixing has always been like a separate task at the end of the process. And in the nineties, mixing kind of came on as like a career, but it really wasn't on my radar for like that to be my career. So really like in the first two years of working that kind of popped up as like a thing I did. Because again, I just wanted to make money in a studio. So, you know, if you said, hey, we already recorded these songs, but can you mix them? My answer is going to be yes. Like, pay me to do that. If the question is, we've got songs, we need them recorded. Will you do that? Yes. Like it was that you get the idea. Mm -hmm. So these couple more notable bands that had me mix the things that they had already recorded. And this is just the way the world works because because they were more known and popular in the region that just made me look like a mixer. So I started getting more and more mix work. And again, I didn't care because 
I was just trying to do studio work, was work, work for money. Yeah. yeah, work was work. So as that was progressing, I kind of hit a wall in my mid 20s, I was maybe 26, 27. I was really struggling because I, I didn't come up in the recording world in like a really traditional way. I didn't leave recording school and come to a big music market like Nashville or LA or New York and become like an intern at a big studio and then work my way up to like assistant engineer and, and then try to get under like a big notable producer. I didn't do any of that. I just went back to Kansas City and just started working. So I didn't have the hands-on, you know, the seasoned veteran guy teaching me like the real world ropes. I was on my own from the beginning. I wanted it that way. And that's, I did that on purpose, but it came with a lot of, it came with a lot of frustration and a lot of years of grinding. So by my mid to late twenties, I was struggling to get my mix product from like maybe like a solid B or B minus quality level up to like the A level, like the major label, you know, the top of the top stuff. So um, I'm really good at networking. I'm outgoing. I already had friends that were working up at that A level. So I just started asking them if they would, if I could pay them to teach me, if I could like what, like anything I could do. And these were guys in different cities. So I started, like I flew some guys to me in Kansas city, spent some weekends with them. Uh, then by the, by the time I was in my early thirties, my work product was, was noticeably better. I was close to where I wanted to be. And I went to Memphis to work with uh, a really accomplished rock uh, recording engineer and mixer who had transitioned into producing super talented guy. He was a mutual friend. Uh, and I flew out there and spent a weekend with him just, you know, with my mouth shut sitting on the couch while he was mixing a record, just learning. Um, when that ended, that was a huge part of my, uh, education, like learning process. A couple months later, he called me up and asked me if I'd be interested in moving to Nashville. He, he was leaving Memphis and moving his business, his studio to Nashville. I knew that ahead of time. I didn't know I would ever be part of that. So he just asked if I was interested. I'm like, of course I'm interested. I've always lived my life with that improv comedy mentality of just say yes and, yes and. Because no, I've always felt like, or at least in my career, I felt like no will reveal itself when it needs to. So I don't ever want to shut conversations down or creativity. I don't want to shut anything down until it essentially shuts itself down. So yeah, I'll move to Nashville. I already had a, I, you know, I had a wife and three kids. I, all three of my boys were born in Kansas. So it's, it's really complicated, but yes, I'll move to Nashville. It's just a conversation. No one's doing anything yet. So that conversation went on for about three months. He flew me back to Memphis to hang out and actually work together on a project for like four or five days. And at the end of that, four or five days, he's like, I want you to do this with me. And I was like, okay, cool. So this was early April of 2009. I came home from that trip. I told my wife, I'm like, this is real. Like the, this, he wants us to do it. We talked about it for two weeks. We agreed. We're like, I can't really go much further than I had gone in Kansas. So if I want to see how far my career can go, I got to get to a music market. I've got to go where the, where the opportunity and possibility is endless. And the only thing holding me back is me not my location. So we decided to do it. So I called him and told him, so this was maybe mid to late April. And I was like, we're in, when do you need me in Nashville? And he said, the end of May. I'm like, <laughs> four weeks. 
Okay, so it's on me that I I did not ask through this entire like three four month process when this what the schedule was. Right. That's on me. But I was like, oh my gosh, I have to move. I mean, our youngest was six months old. It, it was crazy. <laughs> I, I've never heard like the whole backstory of of that whole move and everything like that. But it's just funny that we connected the way that we have, you know, over the past few years. Yeah. And it's just like we kind of have parallels of where like you know we're gonna we're gonna be in a different market than maybe where the majority of everything is working but at the same time your mentality is just to grind it out and and learn as much as you can where you are you know and 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 reach out and and build networks outside of what's immediately in front of us so how many how many artists do you like on your plate right now how many different artists do you spend time with uh per day sure uh one, maybe two. Okay. Um, it depends on what the project is. And I got really burned out in 2016 from producing. Uh, so at the time, it was mid to late 2016. And my schedule was booked till to all the way through the end of April of 2017. And from 2010 to this time frame to like the tail end of 2016, that was really common. I would be booked three to six months at a time. That's pretty rare for a producer. I'm not bragging, but Mm -hmm. it's, I worked really, really hard to keep my schedule like that. Cause it's, I also, this is just like a little bit of my personality. I I struggle with the the financial ups and downs of the music industry. It's, it's hard for me to, to kind of see like, to see like a good project come in and know that that money can last me a couple months. I just look at it as like, okay, I finished that project. What's next? I'm screwed, even though I'm actually not. So I would just grind and hustle and just get get my calendar filled three three to six months at a time. That's what felt comfortable to me. That's an insane amount of work. And I kept that pace up. It's part of the reason I got burned out. I kept that pace up through the end of April of 2017. And then I just said, enough. So because I'm capable of mixing and like I spent about 10 years, the first 10 years of my career, just like just focused and dedicated and obsessed with becoming the best mixer I could be. Most producers don't have that skill. I was able to fall back on that as a, like say like a secondary source of income, even though the leading up to 2017, 80% of my income from 2006 to 2000, early 2017, 80% of my income was produce, record, mix, like the entire project. I would do the entire thing. 20% of my income came from mixing only. Like the band had recorded somewhere else with a different producer and they called me to finish it. In 2017, I attempted to flip that. So I knew it wasn't going to be that easy and it wasn't. So getting back to the original question, a full length record takes, if I'm going to produce, record and mix a full length record, 10 to 15 songs, that is a four to six week album cycle, studio cycle. So I'm going to be with that band or artist exclusively for four to six weeks, five to six days a week. That's it. So they're going to be the only client I deal with. It gets a little gray when you also like remember that I said I'm booked three to six months at a time. So throughout a day or a week, I'm still communicating to the clients that have sent me deposits and have booked those next months. Like they're going to be sending me uh, demos of the songs. They're going to be, I mean, very few of my clients are Nashville based. So I've got to help deal with travel plans. Mm-hmm. I've got to, I've got to help arrange. Uh, I've got a book. I don't own my own drum studio. I don't, I don't have enough physical real estate. And I don't have a drum room and that's no big deal in Nashville because they're everywhere. You can spit and hit a <laughs> drum room, but 
um, which is the reason I don't do it um, or have one. So, you know, I'm, I'm getting demos from bands. I'm listening to those demos outside of the, the studio session I'm working on. You're being on I'm their podcasts. Yeah, doing <laughs> But I'm, I'm, you know, when I was actively producing like that, I would say in that time frame, I would be dealing with, on a daily basis, I would be actively engaged with one artist in the studio, like physically present with me. It could be a band or it could be, you know, like a solo artist. But throughout the day, I'm probably communicating with three or four other clients in various stages because one band just left. So I'm sending them mixes. I would come in, mix a song in the morning, and then that artist would show up around 10 or 11. And then I'd be done mixing the previous month's project and I would start recording the current project. So I would be, I called it flip-flop. But then throughout the day, I'm getting a text from like, you know, the band three months from now saying like, hey man, did you get the demos? We are the Dropbox link. Uh, I'd have to check really quick. Yep, I got it. Uh, give me like three or four days. I'll comment back on the song. Then I'd probably get a text or an email from somebody else. So are there any Airbnbs that are close to you? I'm like, oh yeah, here's, here's a list I use, approved places. Like, I mean, it's essentially like, if you think of a small business that functions in more of like a like a real world office business way, my life as a producer is I'm I'm accounts payable, I'm accounts receivable, I'm sales, I'm marketing, I'm manufacturing, I'm quality control, I'm you know I'm the janitor, I'm like at, list all of it. I'm operations, I'm the CEO. I, like, is there I'm, is there any genre of music you won't work with? Uh... <laughs> I mean, let's let's throw out the the really fringy stuff. Obviously, I don't know if you know pan flute is going to be uh, you know under your umbrella <laughs> or anything. Oh no, we're we're putting pan flute on the next who's record. That's, but, that's but, okay. yeah, great, let's go. great. Um, so another, I guess another rarity for my career is um, I've touched way more genres of music than I ever anticipated mm-hmm. at any point in my career. Even things like, like, you know, growing up a punk rocker, it, that also came with like some narrowness of opinion sure. that I shed quickly once I started with studio stuff. But, you know, in the early, early, early days, you know, 21, 22 years old, I only wanted to work on like punk rock and indie rock and things I liked and things that checked this like ethos box. Well, that quickly goes away when, when you're trying to earn a living. You're like, well, I don't really care like what it is. It, if I'm trying to earn a living recording bands, I need to stop caring about some of the details and just try to be really good at this job. The only way to earn a living is to be really good at it because it's a word of mouth business and the, the quality of product is your business card um, and it's your resume, it's everything. So uh, once once I opened my mind like that, I just honestly started thinking about music in the what I mentioned earlier is just really cinematic. It's, you know, like I... I can listen to certain genres and I can take, I can take in some things and just get a general understanding of like, Oh, this genre tends to lean on having the lead vocal be much louder than, you know, say uh, alternative rock. Like I can listen to some recordings and be like, okay, this, there's genre specific things everywhere. Okay. That's no big deal. I can check those boxes. Now I just need to work with the artist and do what the artist wants done. That's how you, that's how I produce records. So I've, I've worked on film scores or which is orchestral stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've worked in country, hip hop, R&B, bluegrass, uh, all genres of rock, like metal, hardcore, post-hardcore, 
uh, mainstream rock. I mean, name a genre. Mm-hmm. I've touched something in it. And rock is a massive umbrella. Um, do you do you have? I've touched, I've touched a lot of it. Yeah. Do you have uh, uh, a genre of music that you initially didn't like that now you appreciate? Uh, I was not. I've not been a huge fan of most hip hop and country. Hip hop remains the same for me. It's. Uh, I own a bunch of hip hop and rap records, but it's really like my taste there is fairly narrow. So the, those records I've worked on, I've been really picky. And it actually comes from, I think, more of a good mentality. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want to work on a project that, that I'm not the right fit for. I can do a lot of things well, and, I, I, and there's things I don't do well. And that's how we all are. That's how everybody right. is. You have to life. have a passion it's, for it. I mean, you have to, you right. have to really care. If I'm, if, I'm not, if I'm not going to be able to turn over, and if, if I can see it ahead of time, mm-hmm. sometimes you're Sometimes you you need work, you're blind, and things get a little away from you. You got to course correct. But if I can see it ahead of time that I'm not going to give this artist, if I'm not going to give them the product that they want, um, then I just I just tell them that. Well, you recommend you know, somebody not, else more uh, you know, the, the, to, to work know, with? If, if I know somebody, sure. sure. And I'll set all that up. You know, I'll send some texts. I'll connect people if I know the right person. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, like in the hip hop world, I've only been asked to make maybe six hip hop projects in my entire career. I've been doing this for 23 years, sure. 24 years. So, I mean, that's like, that's like a tiny, tiny little amount of clients, but I've turned most of those down. I took, I think I've done maybe two that are more banned. It's kind of, it's more like organic real elements. Mm-hmm. When that meets hip hop, even if it's sample based, if it's sampled off of old vinyl records and stuff, I just dig it. I think it's cool. So yeah. I, and I also think that I can serve that project much better. If it's just, if it's more like modern, like the past 15, 20 years, hip hop, it's just not for me. Well, it's you... not that the music's bad. It's just, I'm not the right guy. Country was like that for a really long time for me. I had a really hard time kind of finding my footing with country and being in Nashville. I knew it was only a matter of time before some of those projects would pop up. The thing with country is when when mainstream rock died in 2010, uh, anything like distorted guitar related, at least in Nashville, anything in that world that would have been rock just went country. There was no other place for it to go. No other. I mean, it can't go urban. It can't go... um, I can't go top 40 pop because that was all electronic urban, you know, it's hip hop and R and B. There was no, there was no home for that to live in. So it all shifted to country. So the first handful of country singles and EPs I got asked to produce, my initial comment was, I don't, I don't really know if I'm going to be able to help you, but just send me the demo. When I got the demo, the first two or three, they were just straight up Southern rock. Right. And I was like texted back and I'm like, Oh, this would be great guys. I can totally (laughs) do this. And that was kind this of the beginning no of like the, it, that's kind of like where like Americana and everything kind of blew up too is around like yeah, 2010, exactly. especially in, in the Nashville scene. Well, and you've worked, like you mentioned earlier that you've, you know, you've worked, I mean, you've, you've found your, all your, the, the way all the way up here to, you know, the, the backwoods of the Dakotas uh, to work with some bands. In um, January, no less. <laughs> we, we forced them to fly up here in a January because it's when we had time off. Uh, yeah, that's right. Andy. Andy knows my rule. I've said it so many times to him. You don't travel north in the winter. <laughs> and I've got you to do it twice. <laughs> <laughs> so do you have, uh, is, the, is, is, there, is there regional groups of bands and artists that you prefer to work with? Um, I mean, do you, have, do you have different regions of the country where like, you know, I, I like what's happening here. I want to work with these guys. Uh, well, that would be true with the Dakotas and I'll go into that. Second. Really? But, um, I will say that um, 
this will set that up really well. Um, so when I finished up that run of producing projects at the end of 2017, until just recently, uh, early 2020, which kind of sucked based on what happened in mm -hmm. 2020, I just started getting the itch to produce again. Mixing is, um, I mean, I'm here by myself now and the, and the primary amount of my work is mixing since I've spent, you know, the past handful of years really just focused on that, taking a break from producing. Um, it's very solitary and isolating. And after a while, it's very lonely because I'm just, it's day in and day out of just being by myself. So uh, there's a lot of that that I enjoy. And there's some of it that just, that also just kind of started to burn me out because I am outgoing and, um, and I do like being around people. So I started getting the itch to produce again, but I needed, I just needed to go back to my roots. I didn't know it at the time, but leading up so like the tail end of 2019 i was just kind of getting a little restless and by the time january february of 2020 came around i had identified i'm like you know what i've spent so many years producing everything that everything that came to me organically that i was a good fit for which is a lot of projects i just burned myself out because i just lost sight of the fact that like i'm a rock guy i like rock music i'm not specific about it i just like i like music that's played by human beings with instruments and Nashville got taken over by this exodus of LA people and pop music came to Nashville. So I spent a handful of years only working on electronic pop and I didn't see it at the time, but that was a huge component to my burnout. Cause I'm like, no one's playing guitar. No one's playing bass. You know, like we're just, we're plunking around on keyboards, staring at dots on the screen. We're not like people aren't playing instruments anymore, but th that's what I love. I love like musicianship and the, the craftsmanship of it and how hard it is to be a good guitar player and how hard it is to be you know a good drummer and a good bass player and, and then how hard it is for those elements to come together and be a good band and write good songs. Pop music is is isolating. It's just like, uh, I'm not trying to bash on it. It's just, it's not that. It's not like this, a room full of collaborative energy where people are passing instruments around and people like, and we're playing the parts we know and we're searching for the other stuff we're not. So to get back to the question, 2020 happened and all of us just went into a shell. So I didn't, I had like eight or nine producing projects lined up for 2020 that I was really excited about. And that was the first time I had said yes to uh, that amount of producing since 2017. I was really, really careful with my producing through those three years. So all of that went away. So I was really bummed, but then through it, like Judd Who's in particular, we were supposed to do something in early 2020. It didn't, uh, we didn't like delete the project or cancel it. We just kind of punted it to like, <sighs> we'll see what happened. And by the time Andy and the band came back around to me, like, how would you feel if we recorded some of this remotely? Like, we really want to get this done. A handful of other clients were doing the same thing. And what I started realizing was I also really enjoy Midwest people, which is like me. I'm a Midwesterner. Sure. So we're, we're obsessed uh, with working. You can't help it. You just like, we, we can't sit on our hands very long. It's like, we got to do something. Right. We got to create something. Yeah. There's just, there's just something, I mean, you guys have all traveled. Uh, it doesn't take very long in traveling around America to realize that there's subcultures, you know, America's one country. There are subcultures everywhere. You know, there's West Coast culture, there's Southern culture, there's Midwest, there's Northern culture. And when you immerse yourself in those places, at least when you move from like your formative years, like your high school-ish time, when you really kind of figure out who you are, your personality sets in, when you move away from that, I think it's the first time you realize like the subculture you were in, in those years. And then you kind of start to acquire all that. In Nashville, I was so busy working. I just had my head down. I didn't really spend a whole lot of time with Southern culture. 
not my favorite culture. <laughs> so by, by the time 2020 rolled around, I'm like, you know what? I think I want to produce records again. I want to collaborate. Like I want to be like, I want to be the guy recording the stuff that I'm mixing. Everything shut down, but that was the big thing where I'm like, I love working with Judd Hoos. I love working with, uh, I mean, I can, I can list a bunch of the bands, but what happened was I listed like 20 of my favorite clients and they, every single 100%, they were all Midwestern bands, wow. all of them. So I then just kind of sat back and I'm like, I think, I think I'm going to reach out to some of these bands who eight, eight or nine of them were already on my calendar and just say like, like who else is in your region? Like I, like I want to be more involved. I have a ton of clients in Chicago. So, um, I mean, that's a Midwest city. It's the biggest mid city in the Midwest. Uh, so, you know, coming up into the Dakotas, that made sense. I, you know, I had worked with Rick Todd. Uh, he's from Fargo. And then I worked with 35th and Taylor, Sioux which they're, they're from Sioux, Sioux, Sioux city, Sioux city, Iowa. Yeah. Yeah, Iowa. Uh, and then that's how I met Shane and Andy. Then I got involved with Judd Hughes. And from there, I've worked with Chris Gay. I've worked with Devin Sance. Um, I've done some writing with Denim. Um, I've worked with Everything in Slow Motion, a post-hardcore band from Fargo. Hands, a hardcore band Spill from Canvas. Chicago. Or sorry, sorry, Fargo. Yeah, Spill Canvas I've worked with. So like, and, and, and everything I just listed is spanning like years of time. So mm-hmm. when I, when I just kind of started listing, I'm like, oh man, I really get along with these bands and we make these awesome, cool records. And none of these records are the same and they all sound different. They, and it's really fun. And I just was like, these are all Midwest clients. Like, and Andy already knows this rock and roll never died in the Midwest. Right. It died. It, I mean, it died kind of internationally, but mostly in you know, New York, LA, Nashville, radio suffered a lot. Like big mainstream rock bands suffered a lot. The touring went away, but like rock and roll never died in the Midwest. We're, we're, I love we're, rock and roll. we're a simple people out here, Jay. We're very, yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe it's easy to say that, you know, you know but yeah, I'll, I'll go back to what you were saying though, about, you know, just having a group of people and, and being open to collaborating I think that time that in the cabin where we recorded that we were young EP was like one of the most creative environments I've like been in where it was just like, okay, this is what we have to work with. You know, we've got our guitars and all that stuff or whatever, you know, but it's like, what else can we do? Like that's some of the coolest, like auxiliary percussion that we've, that I've ever heard was on that record. Like tapping on an empty case of beer or something, you know, just to make like bongo sounds or something, you know, there's all kinds of stuff like that all the way through that record. Nobody had a shaker. (laughs) <laughs> yes oh yeah we made a sh- we made we made a shaker of like you know the, the tiny little cylinders of spices like the small ones that are about that big it was like paprika or something it. i'm gonna grab it and show you yeah guys. he's I, got I it the listeners, <laughs> i know the listeners don't see the camera feed but uh i found a thing in the cabin in the shelves of the cabin of rosemary that was like near empty so i'm like no one's using this and shane had a had a shotgun shell in his truck from dropping a friend off at the airport who had it in his pocket. So he just left it in Shane's truck. He's like, I can't take this through TSA. I'm just leaving it here. And Shane literally, I mean, his version of the story, which I mean, he's telling the truth. He's like, he just said, what am I going to do with this? Like, what? I, why are you leaving this in my truck? And then he drove out to the studio. I think it was maybe two days later. He came mm-hmm. into the studio that day. And I'm like, we need a shaker. And he went, I have just the thing. We pried the shell open and dumped all all the shot out into the rosemary thing to make a shaker. If anything the, speaks to Midwestern musical style, that story. And there it is. Oh man. <laughs> that so we story. put a piece of gas tape over top of it. You can hear it. 
That's perfect. That was our shaker in the cabin. We didn't have one. Though. That's, so I mean, that does. That sums it all up. That's what I mean. It was like the most creative environment. It's like, we don't have what we need. What can we make work? And I still think, I mean, I loved, I like the, the new stuff you guys have done, but that We Were Young album was, for me, almost start to finish. Uh, just I loved I loved everything that was on it. I mean, it was it was so well done. It it you know it's a lot of fun to make. Yeah, it, it, yeah, it sounds like it. Uh, all right, Jay. So the crux of this podcast, and I hope you had some time to think about it a little bit. I really want to know that moment. I'm always fascinated when people find their magic and when it happened for them. And I think people in this field specifically, in the in the music field, that seems to be stamped on their in their in their brains more than 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 any other profession. Do you remember when it happened for you? The concert, the song, the moment, anything? Yeah. You ready? Yeah, I'm ready. It, this is easy for me. When Andy told me, I was like, oh, I got this. Um, I was six years old. Uh, one of the world's largest selling records to this day had just come out. My parents bought it for me on cassette. It's 1982. I'm living in the suburbs of Kansas City. Cassette decks were those rectangular shaped like dictaphone cassette player recorders that took somewhere between 42 and 4 million D size batteries. Remember yes. those things? Of course. They weighed, they weighed, I'm, I'm not exaggerating. They weighed 200 pounds to a six year old kid. <laughs> uh, my parents handed me the cassette. I put it in the player. I pushed play. It, it had the retractable hard handle. Mm -hmm. I pulled that out. And I walked to the end of my parents' driveway. And by the time I made all of that process happen, again, I'm six. By the time I made all of that process happen, Billie Jean started playing and my life was over. Oh, that awesome. was it. I rewound that song for a solid year on that particular cassette. I like you hear people say like I love that record so much I wore it out. My parents had to buy a second copy of Thriller because I actually did wear the cassette out i it broke it got so thin from me playing mostly billy jean over and over yeah that's so awesome that is that's a, that's <laughs> a that's a great story it's it and it's so i mean it's it, it yeah it, it it that that album obviously uh you know for people that are our age it, it was people don't understand how unbelievably life-changing that album was I mean, it was across... my first experience it was my it was the first time i could rem i can i can remember hearing something that again backing up numerous topics it was my first experience hearing something that captivated me mm -hmm. i was like i was six like i mean i have kids i remember what they were like at six and like when when billy jean came on it's not the first song on the record but when billy jean came on i just was like it was like reading a book i just was <laughs> lost nothing existed except that right and like and you know like to make a you know, to make a drug addict reference, it's like the you're you're chasing that first feeling the the rest of your life. Right. And music will do that. The, and music will do that. And the the fun thing about music uh is well, A, it's not gonna kill you like mm -hmm. drugs will, but <laughs> B, um, you can get that same feeling. It's repeatable, you know. And the older I get and the deeper in my career get uh, I get, I'm actually better at making it repeatable. But that's my that's my moment for me. Excellent. Michael That's Jackson's awesome. 
Michael Jackson's Thriller. That's awesome. Jay, this has been an awesome conversation, man. You, uh, I, I, I could sit down with you for another couple hours uh, and just continue to, 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 to pick your brain. Uh, I'm sure you'll have to come down to the studio with us. I want to. Uh, I absolutely want to. Because I, I would love to see your entire process and just hang mm. out with you for about a half a day and, and, and watch what you do. Because I've been on the radio end of it my entire life. I started when I was 15 years old, and I've been on the radio nice. ever since. And That's a long time. Yeah, it has That's been. Young. Uh, yeah, it's well. I, I'm from I'm from a very a much smaller town in North Dakota that we had one AM radio station, and I got to be on it when I was 15. And I said, Yeah, this I'm never leaving this. I'm never yeah. leaving this. So uh, I'm fascinated by the stories from the musicians to the producers uh, to to see the process and to hear about it from you has been this has just been a blast. I appreciate it, Jay. Yeah, it's no problem. Enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely, man. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of My First Concert. I am Mark Houston. I am the host and producer of the show. It's engineered by Chris Jaquez, and all the audio and visual work is done by our own Russ Haddon. My First Concert is on the Home Slice Audio Network, and if you like what you heard, a great review is always appreciated.